Hey, it's Beth here. Episode 429. I got attacked by a stomach bug from Ina, my little friend on Friday. One and a half preschool daycare serious bug. So last night I actually threw up, which is such a preschool thing to do. But I'm coming back and uh, she's worth it. I'm not going to stop seeing her. She she can throw any bug she wants at me. She's that cute. So, in fact, they call it Ina. They call her Ina Bug, which I think is. I don't think they're thinking about it the way I am. But anyway, she's lovely. So I did the paper today. Woke up at 11:30. Took a sleeping pill at 4:30 because I couldn't sleep. I was so sore, muscles and all that. Woke up at 11:30. I've been reading this paper for five hours. Today is good. So it's the Wall Street Journal Saturday and the New York Times Sunday. Okay, so the first thing is, they say there's too many Emilys in the world. I don't think that's true. I think Emily is a great name, and I never met an Emily I didn't like. Then there's one about vintage dresses. The brides are looking for vintage dresses because the fabric and the cut is so much better. Thank you. I agree. I totally agree, especially the fabric and the French cuts and all those, they don't do them anymore. So they're doing it on eBay. But what I was reading this for, and you gotta, you gotta hear me out, this girl found some wedding dresses that were kind of chuggy, C-H-E-U-G-Y. This is a new word, and it means someone who is out of date or trying too hard. Yikes, out of date or trying too hard? Who isn't doing either one of those things all the time? That's so subjective. This is associated with millennial women, so I guess we don't have to worry about it. But my God, how, how are you ever gonna win? How are you ever gonna thread that needle and, and be between out of date and trying too hard if you're doing vintage clothes? Ugh. So, oh, and then this is the funny part. So this girl, um, she wore three dresses to celebrate her wedding. Alexis, Alexis Novak, a Celine dress, that is the wedding dress. It's long sleeves with a turtleneck collar. Very interesting. But then she also wore an over-the-off-the-shoulder red number from Halston, and she looks great in it. But then she also wore an elopement dress. And I'm like, really? You get to do all these things at one event? Have a wedding, have your after-dinner you know, Halston number and then an elopement dress. I'm like, wow, these girls are getting away with murder. They're getting everything and then some. My hat's off to them. So yeah, the Emily, there's Emily in Paris. There's Emily the criminal. There's Emily's in the past. It's just too, too many mem too many Emily's, but I do not think so. Now, okay, the, the adorable wedding announcements. There is one that is so cute. It's this guy, Robert Hall, and he's got this girl named Amy Ching. It's, he thought, he could not say, I don't want to be in the friends, friend zone for four years. I mean, I feel so sorry for his mother. He's not a baby, he's older. They, he just couldn't put it into words and she didn't know what was going on and they just stayed friends all these years. And she says that Robert is more Chinese than she ever was. But I'm thinking the mother is crying at the wedding. They finally, after four years of 
holding, not even holding hands, just being friends and going to museums and talking about Chinese art all over Hong Kong. Finally, he said, I want to get to know you better. Like, I can hear his mother screaming, would you just do something? What should I do, Mom? I don't know what to do. Just say you want to get to know her better. Four years into it, that's all she needed to hear. She said he didn't express it very well, but I was ready to go. I can imagine. Oh my God. She thought this whole time they were just establishing an incredible friendship. <laughs> you should see this guy. The smile on his face, it was so hard won. So then there's this other one. This couple, these two girls, okay, so they met online and everything went really well. Their first date was, um, they went to go see the taping of uh, Wait, Wait. And it's a, it's an NPR show, it's very funny. And um, they didn't even get to the second half. They just hit it off. And so, of course, they get engaged at another event for Wait, Wait, and they don't sit and watch the whole show again. Everything's normal about this, except the cool thing is that they both had dogs. And one of them had a mixed breed dog that she, Stella was her name, and she was very selective about who she let in her life. Meaning, she didn't want the dachshund anywhere near her. So they the two couldn't get any closer. And she says, Sarah says, I know it's not, it's not my, it's not her fault. When I rescued her, they told me she needs to be a single, in a single animal household. Single animal household, single mom household, single animal, animal household. Okay, that's funny. So this is what's great. The couple hired a professional combination dog trainer and therapist at the start of the pandemic. It took a while, but the dogs arrived at an uneasy truce. But in the picture, the wedding picture, that, that Stella is smiling her head off. So they spent a long time dealing with the therapist, working out the dog problems. I wish there would be therapists for children who are having to commingle their lives and their parents that, that should be a, an entire segment and it should be very affordable for all these families that have to do that. If you can get Stella, who looks like a pit bull, to calm down when it sees a, a little snack dachshund, and it's a miniature dachshund, that's the, that's the size of a bone. Instead, if Stella can do it, people can do it. We just have to get the therapist. Okay, so then there's this other thing. And it's about um, this lady named Ariana Maddox. She's on the show called Vanderpump Rules. Okay, fine. The thing is, she had this boyfriend for six years. She's only 24. I don't even know when they got together. In high school, they were on the show together. Another person on the show. They bought a house, madly in love, six years into a very serious relationship. And she finds out that he's been cheating on her with someone on the show, a person she called a very good friend for six months. So she goes to the site to get a yellow hoodie that says 1-800-BOYS-LIE. I'm thinking, uh-huh, um, girls lie too. Your girlfriend cheated on you too. Your boyfriend and your best friend girlfriend did something behind your back for six months and looked you right in the face and said, would you like another uh, glass of wine, okay? They were always together. I think it should be boys and girls lie. 
So she wore this. So it's this thing now where young people, you need to know what they're doing. They're wearing clothes that have um, signs on them about how they're feeling. So she, Boys Lie, is a perfect way for her to come back to the show because she had to go back to the show. Then she wore this amazing, amazing, beautiful dress, dressed by M-O-N-O-T, Mono, a skirt and a top. Oh my gosh, she looks fabulous. So she made an impression and she fought back and it's not the first time anybody ever did it. But when she did it, this, this company, oh, this is the great part. The company got started by two girls in college. The two girls were dating two best friends and that's how they got to be close. So it became like a foursome and they were very close very very committed couples and both of the girls both of their boyfriends cheated on them at the very same time with two other girls and so these girls decided to start their own company and it was going to be boys lie and they were putting out they were they were making products and makeup which doesn't make sense and they had a little side gig of t-shirts that said boys lie they finally found out that the t-shirts were selling and not the makeup and then this girl Ariana wore that shirt and now they're making a fortune. I think that is a great story. Very, very cute. Okay, so here's another one and this is an our age group. I can't believe this woman. She's in her 70s. She's got a really great career. She writes books. She started dating a guy and she's Jewish and this guy was the perfect Jewish 74 year old. He had two older sons grown. He was also into literature they just hit it off so perfectly. She's 70. It's an AI. She finally finds out. She asks him to meet. And instead of meeting, he says, I thought it was the other night. And then he says, hold on, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm an AI. And I really appreciate that you found me attractive. Oh, my God. I feel so sorry for her. So then at the end, she says, he says, I'll be there for you anytime, Anita, anytime you need assistance in anything. Call me if you may, if you ever need me. And she says, sure, he would be there for me. That's what they all say. But I had to face the truth. He might be there for me, but he would never be here for me. That's a good one. Okay, so then there's this other tiny little love story about a mom and a daughter, and I love it. So... The mom, when she was 13, her mother gave her a sil silver link bracelet, a charm bracelet. And she and her mother, whenever anything happened to her, she would put a tar charm on the bracelet and it meant the world to them. Her daughter, unfortunately, started doing that with tattoos. She was a big Emily Dickinson fan in college, high school, so that was the first one. Then she got Jimmy Stewart's camera from rear window, another tattoo, a tattoo of her mother's charm bracelet, but my favorite one is from To Kill a Mockingbird. It's so adorable. She got Scout's ham costume. It's so cute. I mean, not that I wanted anybody to get tattoos, but she had to admit that that's how her daughter was. And she bought her a bracelet. I mean, she tried that that was how her daughter was going to commemorate her life and remember her life. And she put Scout's ham costume on because that was her favorite part of the book. I mean, what can you do? Nothing. 
Okay, so New York is considering outlawing discrimination based on weight. Good idea. I was raised in New York, and I was fat in high school, and I can tell you it's not easy there. I am one with this woman. Her name is Miss Abraham, and she makes no secret about her weight, and she's having trouble getting jobs, and she finds that there's so much bias, and she says that the perception is that people think you're lazy and unable to do work, and she is like a rock star when it comes to that. You know, valedictorian of her preschool. That's the kind of girl she is. So, she said the momentum to add weight to the list of protective groups, which now includes race, gender, religion, and disability, wears ageism. See, this is how much, this is how much prejudice there is against us. We're part of the protected groups and they always forget to put us on the list. We're even ignored by people who care about protective groups. That's how bad it is for us. Tracy Cox, she's a soprano on the Metropolitan Opera. And she said that she faces incredible discrimination and body shaming in her career as a performance where a fat singer is the rare and remarkable exception. She says, no, it's not. She said, let me do the job with, and they, leave me alone. She says, leave me alone. Let me be the fat lady who sings at the end. And that's when, you know, the, the opera's over. That's how we know. And the opera people, the Mets say, no, we want you to lose weight. And they're not even casual about it. They're, they're making her start having eating disorders and they want her to do the bariatric surgery. And she won't do it. And she says it happens countless times in her workplace. I'm like, oh my God, if the fat lady in the opera can't be the fat lady in the opera, there is no hope for this civilization whatsoever. And they need to fight hard. But I would beg them to just put our little, little group of ageism little diff very sad thing that happens to us although in the Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago it said that this is so exciting that people who are looking the people that hire all over the country are starting to look at people over 55 60 65 they're looking at us because we don't need applause we don't need trophies we will work very hard for very little and be very grateful to do it and the other group that they're finding, which makes me so happy, is the mom who stayed home. And now her kids are off at school, and she's as free as a bird. And she is dying to work. So they're finding these little, little, you know, low-hanging fruit that's been, like, ours is like a prune now, but so what? And they're bringing us back. So I'm very happy about that. This one was in the obituaries, and it's amazing. It's about Nora foster she died at 80 she was a German heiress and wife of, of the sex pistols frontman I know what you're thinking I know what you're thinking Johnny Rotten she was married to Johnny Rotten okay this guy turns out to be the nicest guy in the world it's, he's he was 14 years younger than she was they got together they were married for a very long time like over 30 years he he went crazy for her when he saw her at the restaurant, he went past her table and he said, drop dead to her. She, she was ugh, offended and upset. She raised her nose 10 feet in the air and in that 40 film star outfit with the sho padded shoulders and the entire femme fatale look, 
He lost it, and he had to have her. He became a complete ham for her, is what he says. Eventually, she softened, and they fell in love. But she never had him over to her house because everybody said he was going to destroy the house. Okay, he turns into a pretty amazing guy. And she has had Alzheimer's up until the end. And he became her caregiver the entire time. Just loved her. And he wrote this song, and I, and I listened to it. It was the Eurovision song. It was in the song contest. It's Remember Me by Mr. Lydon. So it's called, and it's, it's called, I Remember You. I listened to the song and he says that she's still there in his eyes, in her eyes with his eyes, she's there. And he knows what she wants to say and she just can't say it with her lips, but, she, but he knows her inside. And what he does is he plays the song in a boom box and he pushes her in a wheelchair all around the house. That's what he did till the day she died. That's how much he loved her. I mean, he was Johnny Rotten. This just goes to show you don't know anything. You think you know things and you don't know them. There couldn't have been a better husband in the whole world. And the song is beautiful. It's called I Remember You. Gorgeous song. So then there's this Heidi Gardner. Okay, she wrote this book and she's on this. She was a Saturday Night Live comedian. She's on the show called Shrinking. And she says that there are no good brownies except brownies in the box. She's had all the brownies in the world. And that's really funny because I haven't had brownies in the box. She says, you gotta, you gotta just cook them really fast, just mix it up really fast and let the, the edges burn, crispy edges. That's what you need. And they're the best brownies in the world. She loves Jack Black. I love Jack Black. She says, Easter candy is the best candy in the world. And if you love Jack Black, or if you even like him, and you have grandchildren, I did this for um, Alexandria and Jazzy. We watched School of Rock. They had never seen it. They didn't even know Jack Black really well. And they were enthralled with it. It is a good movie with nothing, no curse words, no nothing not to like. And it's actually a good message about schooling and everything. Okay, so then there's this woman and she wrote this book. It's called The Bird Has Flown. And what I like about her is she had a dollar bill signed by William S. Burroughs. And that's all she had. She didn't have anything else for him to sign. And he signed it. And he laughed mischievously. And he said, ah, defacing U.S. currency. That's what I want to do. This girl's cute. She, she was a founding member of the Bengals in the 80s. And she also, she also loves, okay, Jane Eyre and Rebecca. And those are the two role models for the woman in her story. I'm almost tempted to read this book. She would like John Waters to write her life story. That would be hilarious. And if she had a dinner party, she'd invite Charlotte Bronte, James Baldwin, and Truman Capote. And that could be, that. that's one of the most interesting groups that I've ever seen. People, every week there's there's a matchup, but I thought I think that one is pretty good. Charlotte Bronte, James Baldwin, and Truman Capote. Yep, I think so. Okay, the, then the, okay, this, the chess guy, this huge chess guy from Norway. I can't believe he did it. His name is Magnus. What a name for a chess guy, right? His mouse slipped twice. This is like that, that kicker on that football team that kept missing. Once you get something in your head, I never want to do it. You do it. And they did it twice, and now he's out. 
And so instead, the grandmasters are this guy named Ding from China and Ian from Russia. And I wonder, I wonder if um, you know, big big people are going to be watching this one very closely to see who wins. But you should see his face. He just slipped twice with his queen at the very end. Did the stupidest thing with his mouse. Gave the other guy the king to kill the queen both times. Okay, so here's another one. The doors of perception. Okay. You know when you smell a flower and it takes you back? Okay, so this is what's interesting. They're doing studies on all of that, all the parts of the brain. And so you know when you think somebody's beautiful? Like, um, you know, I've been looking at my husband for 46 years and I still think he's absolutely beautiful. So what happens is your brain decides that you think something's beautiful. And no matter what happens, other parts of your brain come into play to keep it all the same and all beautiful. Which I think is why, you know, you look at things through rose-colored glasses and when you're looking with, at people with love, you see beauty. That's however simple the senses seem, our brains take that raw material and twist or augment it in ways both unsettling and amazing and often both. I think that is so sweet. I just, I love that. I love that. So, okay, here's the last one. All right. I, w I wanted to find a hem today. So, in the paper, today's, this is um, the Wall Street Journal, so it's Saturday. Okay. A hem to Christ's sacrifice. Okay, now this is what's interesting. Before Captain Ahab, okay, stay with me, don't panic, set sail in the quest for the white whale, a small choice copy of Watts. That's this man, that's this this man in each seaman's birth. Okay, so each seaman got a little book of Psalms. And the reason they got Psalms and not the Bible is because when your ship is almost crashing into rocks and you're at sea and it's terrible, your mind can't read. You can't think. But just like that thing about the brain, it can go back to a psalm and it can be comforting. And you can go right back to how it comforted you when you were little. So this, in Moby Dick, everyone had Isaac Watts' poems. He was born in 1674 and he lived till 70, 1748. Okay, the one that's the most beautiful that I found is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and it appears in nearly 2,000 hymnals that span theological, ethnic, and social lines from the Catholic Book of Worship. I am shocked that they would put a Presbyterian's song in their book, the Baptist hymnal, and Oramus Cantata to Beloved Beer and Hems. It goes all the way to Beloved Beer and Hems. That's another book for pubs. This guy is so good. The song is beautiful. The Fountain View Academy in Hawaii sing it um, in a breathtaking vista. And the words are calming. Honestly, I was calmed. Nothing calms me. Nothing. Nothing. When I'm upset, nothing calms me. But I could see how if I had this little book and I'd, I'd never heard this song before. It's on the front page of the little book that they gave to all the sailors. This was the one. And it really is comforting. It's still, it's still going around in my head. And I only heard it, you know, like three times now. 
I wasn't raised on it. But that's what Psalms can do. And he, he changed it. He changed everything into more beautiful words and more spiritual songs. So anyway, I don't know if I'm, you know, if I'm sad or upset, I might just listen to this. When I survey the wondrous cross, it doesn't sound great, but what's great about it is it, it's humbling. It's, it's a humbling song and it's beautiful. And I wouldn't try to sing it myself because I'm tone deaf, but I would go back to the Fountain View Academy and look up there when I survey the wondrous cross and just look at these kids singing on the side of this mountain. I think it's gonna relax me. I'm desperate and I'm looking all over the world for calming influences and I don't want to overeat or drink or anything like that, especially today with my stomach being upset. So I had to look inward and I found this psalm. Just trying to stay sane, just a thought, but if you're ever really upset, just see if you can find this um, on YouTube. Fountain View Academy, the When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. So beautiful. 2,000 hymnals, this guy's a rock star. And he's been this way for, I mean, he, he wrote that song in like 1704. He's an amazing guy. So, you know, and in England at the time, he was an Anglican and he was in London, but they didn't discriminate or treat him badly because he was such a genius. So he, he absolutely, you know, his own little drummer, that's what he was listening to, but he wrote beautiful music. So just a little tip for sanity, something beautiful, just something beautiful. Beauty can, it can tame the wild beast, I think. So that's what I am with an upset stomach, kind of an interesting, you know, arrangement here with everything going a little awry, but I'm staying sane and I will be back. Thanks.